You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This German-Bulgarian businesswoman, Dr. Ruja, appears out of nowhere and basically says, you've heard of Bitcoin, but it's really, that's for tech geeks and nerds. I've created one that's better than Bitcoin. It's simpler, it's smoother, and it's called OneCoin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio is back with Jamie Bartlett talking about the missing crypto queen. All right, Joe, before we jump in here, we have a couple items of follow-up here. What do we got? We do. We have a a note from Dustin who writes in, Hi, Dave and Joe. I had a weird scenario that I was hoping you two could shed some light on. We're switching my three-year-old child to a new pediatrician. In speaking with the new pediatrician, they needed my child's previous medical records. So the process went as followed. I called the old pediatrician and told them I'm the father of, insert child's name here. (laughs) And I'd like their health records faxed to the new office. They told me we cannot fax it. There's too many documents, but we can print it out and you can come pick it up. I hate that in the year 2022, that data sensitive fields such as healthcare rely on archaic transmission systems. I would agree with that. There is, why can't we have a, 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 a data file that you can import and export? Um, yeah. But I digress. Oh, and here, here I am falling in line with his digressions. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the office a few hours later, and to my surprise, all I had to do was sign a paper stating my relationship to the patient, and off I went with the health records. No identification required. What would stop a bad actor from pretending to be a relative, calling in for printed paperwork, and falsifying a signature to obtain uh, health record data? I'm not sure if this is just laziness on my previous pediatrician's part, Parenthetically, he says, which is one of the many reasons we're leaving them, or if this is something other people should be aware of. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dustin. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, this is very interesting. Um, I suspect there's probably a combination of things here. It's uh, It could be a little bit of laziness. I'm not familiar with the chapter and verse of HIPAA regulations and, and what is required versus what's recommended in terms of health records. Um, I would imagine there is a, this is a low risk kind of thing. I mean, the, the odds that someone would call in for the medical records of a child and then also show up in person to gather those records. I think that's probably very small chance of that happening. Yeah. Um, Does the staff know who you are? I mean, they might recognize you and go, yeah, that's, that's the kid's father. Right, right. Um, it, yes, it could be that the staff sort of leaves it to their discretion that if somebody comes in and they're, you know, looking nervous and <laughs> sweating right. profusely or something like that, they'll say, uh, we're going to need to see some ID here. But yeah, but uh, these good, good attackers wouldn't do that though. Good attackers, yeah. you know, bad guys are really good at just walking in and being nonchalant and going, uh, you know, I'm just going to act like I'm supposed to be here. Right. One of, right. One of the things I, they do. Could also be just a, a legacy policy from the good old days when folks didn't yep. really have to worry about this. And that's uh, correct. And that's that, and it's in need of an update. But and this I is agree, the way we've I, always done it. 
Yeah, I, I would probably, it would make me more comfortable to see at least a, a, the, the, a little security theater. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can I see an good. ID, please? Yeah. 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 Um, um, it would also make me more comfortable if they would just send the stuff directly to the other, uh, to the other pediatrician, right? What stops right. them from just mailing it? That That's would be good, more yeah. secure. That's right. Um, That's right. The, why can't we just pack this up into a, a big manila envelope and ship it across town to the new pediatrician uh, in the U.S. Postal Service? That's that's a fine way to do this. I'd be happy with that. But this, yeah, I, I'm 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 a little bit concerned here, but I'm not. I, I don't think it's that big of a risk factor. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to know what happens when you don't go to a pediatrician's office, but you go to an adult doctor's office and ask for this. Well, I was yeah, I was just thinking because like uh, if you go to see a specialist. Mm-hmm. They manage to send the information to your primary care physician, and I suspect there's some kind of automated and and hopefully encrypted way that they do that. Yeah, hopefully knows? encrypted. That's who what knows? we say. <laughs> yeah, encrypted. I mean, you know, we've talked before about how it's sort of a pain in the butt that your primary care physician can't email you things because email is not considered secure enough for uh, medical stuff, but faxes yeah. are, and you know, right? So, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a system that is uh, ready for disruption. <laughs> I would agree. So, I would agree. So, what else but do we you, have, Dustin. Joe? Earlier, we were talking about bandwagoning. I think that was last episode or maybe the episode mm-hmm. before it. But Jay yeah. wrote in to say, hello, Dave and Joe. I have a similar technique I've noticed in various messaging platforms that allow for group messaging in that someone will bring you into a group, usually talking about crypto coin or NFT drops. The conversation is streaming as you join. Every participant is a bot acting out a dialogue-heavy play. Usually, the main user uh, is telling all the good things about the coin or service or NFT, and Mm. the bots express interest, and this tries to instill a herd mentality as well as FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, Because, Mm. of course, Dave, it's a limited-time window. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Limited-time offer. Act now. Supplies are limited. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is similar to the bot chains on YouTube channels where one bot will express interest in crypto and the other bots will respond with the first com- to the first comment expressing satisfaction with X person's service and even more bots. Yeah, I've heard of X. How do you contact X? Right. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the show that this is, uh, reminding me of, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So <laughs> I remember there was an episode of the Simpsons where, uh, right. a bunch of, folks were calling into the like the single guy phone line or something and and but it was it ended up only being guys there were no women on the line at all there <laughs> are was there like any a, women on the of, line you know, it was no. some kind of party line and it was yeah. you know uh, it was only <laughs> only all the usual suspects of single men in uh, Springfield right. called in it was pretty funny <laughs> Jay goes on to say you have I have to block group messages on various services because of this. I assume that they usually get my contact details from some failed pig butchering attempts, which I also don't fall for. Well, that's good. Uh, Mm -hmm. My contact details get passed around uh, to try other methods to rope me into things. Too bad there isn't a do not contact list for messaging apps. That is never going to exist. (laughs) (laughs) So um, not that it would stop these people, but rather encourage them. Uh, and I think that's a good point that if you actually did have a do not contact list, it would be the, the people that, um, that you'd want to contact and the bad guys would be after you. I mean, it, yeah. and, and additionally, you really can't have a do not contact list across multiple, uh, platforms like this because they don't integrate and you probably don't even have the same username on all the platforms. 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think about just for reg- plain old uh, vanilla text messaging that you can, for example, you can set it up to, if someone's not in your contact list, it'll go into a different folder, which is a nice right. way to filter some of this stuff. But you're right, cross-platform, cross, platform, cross uh, various social media services, I'm not sure how you could get a handle on this. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting scam and uh, a, a sort of a pain to get out of. Yeah, I mean, you just don't go into the groups, you know. I mean, you know, you know, this is happening, Jay. This is um, they're coming after you for because you know you're probably inter- interested in cryptocurrency and NFTs, and once they know that you're interested in that, then uh, they're going to just hound you forever. That's, that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. So maybe get a new username and uh, tell the people you care about. But I imagine that's also not a trivial task. Right. Right. All right. Well, thanks to everyone who wrote in to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, let's jump into our stories this week. Why don't you start things off for us? Dave, I have a story from Siladitia. I hope I'm saying that right. Siladitia Ray uh, it, over at Forbes. And the story is about how in the last week, there have been two large companies hit by social engineering attacks. And Good news, Dave. I'm a customer of, of both companies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, the first one is Uber, and the second one is Rockstar Games. Uh, and there is uh, a bad guy who calls himself Teapot. They think he might be associated with the La- Lapsus, Lapsus Group. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's hard to say. One too many S's in that name, Dave. <laughs> right. um, but Teapot says that the breach at Uber he pretended to be an IT employee and got an employee to give up login credentials, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially how the same the same way that Twitter was breached, if you remember the Twitter breach, where right. that guy got access to people's accounts like Barack Obama and then used that access to uh, conduct some kind of harebrained um, cryptocurrency scheme. Um, you know, I, I'm almost mad that he didn't do something better with that, but I'm, I'm actually happy that that's what it was because yeah. it's, uh, you know, yes, he squandered a great resource, but fine. Let him, let him, let him blow an attack like that. That's good. Right. Right. Um, but the, uh, this guy teapot, I don't know what he got from Uber. I would imagine that he was in there probably looking for my credit card information, uh, <laughs> probably specifically my credit card information. But that's an interesting aspect of of this, that so far it seems as though, first of all, there's speculation that this was a teenager. Yeah. um, And that uh, there really doesn't seem to be any financial motive. There's no ransomware that it might might have just been done for fun. It could have been. It could have been. But the rock star, he has taken uh, a bunch of videos of the game. Uh, And there's not really a lot of technical details about how he broke into Rockstar. But, you know... I will tell you, these are videos of a project that's in development and no developer and especially game developers want to have their project uh, out in the public view before it's completed. It's kind of like taking a profile picture of yourself halfway through a haircut. It's, (laughs) it's not a good look, right? Right, And they're, you know, and, and, I, I'm sure that they're like, oh, this is just going to be terrible. People are going to be critiquing our halfway through work. And it's, ugh, what a, what a frustrating thing. Yeah. Um, there is a great quote from Rachel Tobeck, who's one of our favorite social engineering experts. 
Uh, and she says, the hard truth is that most organizations in the world could be hacked this way. Many organizations don't use multi-factor authentication internally and don't use password managers, which, which leads to leaving passwords and credentials in easily searchable places once an intruder gets in, which mm. is uh, which is absolutely true. Um, there's a couple of other interesting stories about in that are referenced in the story. Like last month, both Cloudflare and Twilio were targeted in a type of social engineering attack, uh, a phishing attack. Uh, it worked at Twilio, but it did not work in cl- at Cloudflare. Do you have any guesses as to why it didn't work at Cloudflare? Um, I'm going to, I'll take a multi-factor authentication for 500, Alex. Ah, uh, very good, but not specific enough. <laughs> because they were using hardware tokens for multi-factor authentication. Huh. So they have, at, at Cloudflare, all their technical staff has to use a hardware token to authenticate. And right. this article points out that in 2018, Google said that, get this, Dave, none, none, zero of its 85,000 employees had been successfully fished in over a year because they had implemented hardware token-based authentication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I, every- I, read, I read in some of the stories that um, one of the ways that this person got in to Uber was just by uh, pounding the victim with multi-factor authentication uh, requests. You know, send me the number, send me the number, send me the number. And so eventually just wore the person down yeah. where they it just got exasperated and, and said, just leave me alone. Here's the number. Leave me alone. And that that was it. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and that's not possible with uh, like a FIDO, uh, FIDO Alliance key, like a YubiKey or a Google Titan or any anything else that's FIDO Alliance compatible or right. approved. Uh, you, can't, you can't badger somebody for it because it's public-private key encryption. Yeah. Um, and you just can't get it. Uh, IGN, who is a, a game news source, is reporting that the FBI is now involved. So maybe there will be some consequences for Teapot. Um, I, I I don't know that that's the case, though. But they they have caught other other people like this in the past. So maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. Right. Um, it's an interesting story, and we will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Joe, for my story this week, I want to start out by asking you, in your estimation— what has been the most covered event in the world over the past couple of weeks? It is, um, I'm going to guess that it is the uh, untimely passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Yes, I believe you are correct. Okay. I have no numbers, I have no actual numbers to back up this claim, but it feels right and therefore I believe it's true. It's uh, like when a pope <laughs> dies, Dave. <There's- laughs> <laughs> There's just, that's all the news talks about. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have an article here from uh, securitynewspaper.com is an aggregator of security news. Uh, and it's titled, Fishing Alert, Giving Your Condolences for Queen Elizabeth II Can Leave Your Data in the Hands of Cyber Criminals. Uh, this is uh, from research from uh, Proofpoint, who's a cybersecurity company. They've been seeing some fraudulent emails where the bad guys pose as Microsoft. Um, And what they're saying is, uh, I'll read you a little bit of uh, the message that's going out here. It says, Microsoft is launching an interactive AI memory board in honor of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. To complete it, we need the assistance of our users. Hmm. Pardon me. It says, within this board, neural networks will accumulate, analyze, and organize millions of memorable words, and thousands of letters and photos, receiving them from all over the globe. 
It gets memos from famous people, people close to the queen, and people who just want to say some words of sorrow. Today, we are writing the global history, each of us and all together, no matter where we are now, a heavy loss unites us. You can learn more or take part in the creation of the Elizabeth II memory board in your Microsoft account. And then there's a there's a box to click that says Her Majesty's Memory. And Joe, that what is, do you suppose happens when you click through to leave your a, fond memories of the Queen? Oh, I'm betting, I'm betting almost I'd bet almost all my money that that is a fishing landing page for your Microsoft 365 credentials. You are correct, sir. Ah, that yes, exactly, I win. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. Um and evidently they're using some kind of phishing framework called Evil Proxy, which is a reverse proxy landing page, which helps them harvest credentials and also try to bypass uh, multi-factor authentication. So, yes. you know, I mean, this is something that we talk about all the time, how these folks will use a world event to push people's buttons. And this story uh, emphasizes that as well, that really what they're doing is they're manipulating everyone's emotional state. A lot mm-hmm. of people are very sad about the passing of the queen. And so, uh, sharing their memories, feeling like they're part of a community who are mourning together. That's something that's going to attract a lot of folks. And you can see how that would be effective here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if I was somebody who cared about anybody that calls themselves royal, which I'm not, um, <laughs> as an American, <laughs> you know, a former colony of the, of the United Kingdom, I, I, I'm not very interested in this. But, you know, my wife actually was was uh, visibly sad when when she told me she was very upset. So absolutely, this takes a uh, this woman was really well loved by people. Mm-hmm. People people seem to have a very uh, positive mental image of her. So why not, as a bad guy, exploit that? Why not yeah. um, why not take advantage of it and and tell people, hey, let's uh, let's let's all get together and remember the good queen and mm-hmm. share our words of and thoughts and and. Give me your Microsoft credentials and everything will be okay. You'll, you'll feel well, better. One of the things that strikes me about this is how well-written it is. That there, it, there I was going to comment on that. Yeah. It is remarkably well-written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there aren't any of the telltale signs in terms of bad English or awkward wording or anything like that. And it really yeah. does seem to be uh, written from the heart, which, of course, it, it is not. It almost <laughs> sounds like it could have come from Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a well-written, uh, well-written campaign, yeah. All right, well, I will have a link to that story in the show notes as well. Joe, it's time to move on to our Catch of the Day. Dave, this is a first, I think. Our Catch of the Day actually comes from us. <laughs> you okay. sent this to me. This was <laughs> sent to an email address at the CyberWire, uh, and it just I, I I included this because mainly because I wanted everyone to know it happens to all of us. That's this right. Kind of a, this kind of attack <laughs> we true. all get you, subject. You wouldn't these believe attacks. the emails we get here at the CyberWire. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. But here's some of these. Here's one. It says, "Dear friend, I am Vladimir Petrova, a citizen of Ukraine. I am the only surviving son of my parents." My dad and the rest of my sibling were executed by Russian troops during their raid in the city. I was able to escape with two luggages because I was at the basement of my dad's house when they came to attack us past midnight. I'm presently in the border town and was able to send you this mail. Please, I want you to help me and me get into your country with my luggages. The United Nations Red Cross people ask me what is content of my luggage. 
but I say it is my family belongings. Because I'm in fear who to trust became, I know two luggages contain money in dollars. Because my father deal on grain, selling export to other countries. For every year since 1983, he told me the farm exists longer time ago, before me was born. Good God, that's a long sentence. Please help me, and you can invest money in grains businesses in your country. Please reply, me waiting again for you to writing me back to me. Me English very poor, but me seeking you helping to me. Vladimir Petrova. My favorite part of this is the subject line is good news. Dave, <laughs> what what monster thinks that his family being executed is good news? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the English is, of course, uh, horrible. But you know what? He tries to pass it off by saying, hey, my English is poor, but I'm hoping that you help me. Um, yeah. I almost this wanted guy, to read that last line as Cookie Monster. Me yeah. English very poor, but me seeking you helping me. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the suitcase? Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would work. That there's a, there's social engineering that would work on me. <laughs> Cookie yeah, Monster. Me too. Cookie Monster came to me and said he needed help smuggling a bunch of cookies. I'd be on board. <laughs> I'd be like, what kind of cookies are they? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Are there any raisins in those cookies? <laughs> yeah. No? Okay. Come on in. All Let's right. help you. Very good. Ah, crap. They got me. <laughs> they yeah. got me with the cookie uh, monster scam. <laughs> I thought, thought they were chocolate chips, but they were raisins. Right. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, pretty obvious what's going on here. I mean, they're trying to get you on the hook. This is the, the standard thing where uh, yeah. they have a, it's a loot box a scam where they, they're right. telling you they need some some help getting large sums of cash out of the country. He's going to ask you for money for train tickets or something and then plane tickets. And then it's always going to be more money. That's how these things work. If you send them any amount of money, all they're going to do is ask for more. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks to whoever sent that in. Oh, wait, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to the scammer for sending this to the CyberWire and giving me the opportunity to share it here on the show. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. It is always a pleasure to welcome Carol Terrio back to the show. And this week, she is speaking with Jamie Bartlett, and they are talking about the missing crypto queen. Here's Carol Terrio. So, Jamie Bartlett, best selling author of The Darknet, Radicals, and The People versus Tech, has now released a brand new, much anticipated book called The Missing Crypto Queen. To my mind, Jamie, you are the world's authority on the woman who is said to have robbed $200 billion by scamming folks into believing her one-coin cryptocurrency was the real thing. And only last month, the perp, Dr. Ruja Ignatova, was added to the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. So, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an honor. No, that's quite all right. Yeah, $200 billion. That's maybe quite high. Right. Depends how you measure a scam, but uh, it's definitely one of the biggest Ponzi scheme of the last twenty years for sure. And I guess me and the FBI—we're the—we're the—we're the two—we're the two people that know her better than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen here, these are the pages. I can see it. Yeah. Of your hardback book, The Missing Crypto Queen. I've only scanned it so far, but it's on my August reading list. Let me know how you enjoy it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will. Well, um, I want to know: Are you glad that it's finally finished? Are you glad the book is out? 
Well, it's horrible writing books. I and mean, I don't want to sound like I'm a whinger because I'm lucky to be able to do it, but it's very stressful, especially this kind of story. Petrified about getting little facts wrong, about legal challenges, about threats from people. I mean, all sorts and horrible reviews. All these like, it's a really stressful <laughs> thing. So, oh yeah, I was just so happy it was out there finally, because um, it's been maybe four years of my life I've been working on this story. Yeah. So it's definitely a relief to see it out there. But people don't realize when you're doing these kind of investigations, these long form investigations, it's not nice at times. You get very paranoid, you get very worried, you get very nervous. So yeah, I'm I'm just really, I'm relieved. I'm relieved <laughs> rather than happy, probably. <laughs> well, maybe you should give a quick summary of Dr. Ruja and her scam to our listeners who aren't familiar with the missing crypto queen. Right. The brief version is in 2014, this German-Bulgarian businesswoman, Dr. Ruja, appears out of nowhere and basically says, you've heard of Bitcoin, but it's really, that's for tech geeks and nerds. I've created one that's better than Bitcoin. It's simpler, it's smoother, and it's called OneCoin. And we're early days. So just like how Bitcoin went up in value, OneCoin will go up in value. And um, it was quite unusual, though, because it was sold through multi-level marketing, you know, like Avon and Amway and Tupperware and Herbalife. So she said, this is a kind of unique spin that we've got. Anyway, 18 months later, a million people have invested something like 4 billion euros into one coin from 175 countries, Japanese businessmen to Ugandan rural farmers. I mean, everyone you can think of in between. And then in October 2017, Dr. Ruja gets on a flight from Sofia, Bulgaria to Athens, Greece, and just mm. disappears. And the whole thing is essentially uh, an old-fashioned pyramid scheme, really, but just with crypto branding laid on top. And she hasn't been seen in public since. So, so yeah, so no one knows where she is at this point, right? Well, I mean, well, maybe I do, but you'll have to read the book. Because <laughs> you've flown all over to do some research for this book, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of going places and on the ground and checking out her yacht and checking out her, <laughs> her, her sort of holiday home on the beach and to her old addresses and all those kinds of things. But also yeah, a lot of online research, a lot of sightings, because we've had hundreds of sightings, hundreds of tip-offs. And especially since the FBI added her to their top 10 most wanted fugitives list. I mean, it's nonstop. And the funny thing is, I'll get one phone call saying, I have definitely, definitely just seen Rouge in a bar, in, in a beach bar in Greece. And then the next day I'll get one saying, I've definitely, I saw her yesterday. She's in Thailand. Wow. People's sort of recollection of things. It's been really fascinating to see, actually. We're nearly always wrong. <laughs> Is, is it possible that she's dead, do you think? It's definitely possible. You've got to think about how many people she ripped off. I mean, her brother, Konstantin Ignatov, who took over the company after her, he had a gun pulled on him by Hell's Angels saying, give us our money back or it's more than your life is worth. We'll take it, we'll cut out a body part, I think they said <laughs> oh, to him. God. So that's who you, she's, you know, she's upset a lot of people. And then those people that might be protecting her might decide she's no longer... You know, worth their trouble. So I've always thought it was 20, 30% possible, but the number of sightings I've had, the quality of sightings, the similarity in, 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 in a lot of the sightings makes me think not. And, and then 
the fact the FBI added her to their top 10 most wanted fugitive list, I don't think they would if they had information suggesting she was dead. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think some listeners out there who are about to go on summer vacays who might want to take a read of this book and then keep their eyes peeled to see if uh, she might be lounging out on the beach that you guys are on. Absolutely. Now, let me give you a bit of advice. Firstly, I know your listeners, you know, they're extremely wealthy people. So they're going to be going to the same sorts of bars as Ruja, (laughs) you know, the multi-multi-millionaire. So... Make sure you, when you're in your fancy bars, yep. keep an eye out. Mm-hmm. Remember, take a look at the FBI uh, wanted poster. She's five years older. Mm. She's probably slimmer. Mm-hmm. She's probably got blonde hair and she has had a lot of plastic surgery. So it's not an easy task yep. to spot someone. But by all means, yeah, when you're on your super yacht and another one buzzes by, take a look. Is she on there? That's <laughs> yes, right. Grab a few snaps if possible. Yeah, please. <laughs> Brilliant. Jimmy Bartlett, author and investigator extraordinaire. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. For- I can't wait to get my feet into my, my teeth into the missing crypto queen. <laughs> <laughs> your feet. <laughs> Jump in with both feet. <laughs> this was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. Joe, what do you make of this? Dave, I have been fascinated by this story since I first heard uh, the interview that uh, Carol and and Jamie did on our show a while ago. Yeah. Uh, Years ago. But I went out and I listened to the entirety of that podcast, The Missing Crypto Queen, and now Jamie's written a book. I might pick that up. Hmm. Uh, But I saw in the the news last week that uh, Ruja Ignatova was added to the FBI's most wanted list, which is Hmm. very interesting. I was, that was like, ooh, New Crypto Queen news. Let me see what's going on here. <laughs> uh, but it was just that she's been added to the list, uh, which means um, I guess that she's alive uh, because that was one or, of the big, Or the FBI guesses that she's alive. Or the, yeah, the FBI guesses that she's alive. But, uh, but now this woman scammed a ton of people out of uh, a, a large amount of money, $200 billion with a B dollars. Now, she didn't get $200 billion, but she did get away with billions and that lets you buy a lot of security. And mm-hmm. when Jamie says that he's nervous about uh, about writing this book, I'd be very nervous about writing this book too, uh, because you're writing an expose on somebody with billions of dollars who obviously is just fine uh, participating in criminal activity. Um, but in order for her to evade law enforcement for as long as she has, she's going to have to partner with some pretty unsavory people, mm-hmm. and. For that reason, I thought that maybe they got everything they could out of her or they possibly convinced her to let them hold her million, billions of dollars and then uh, you know, just, just took care of her. But hmm. uh, I, I don't think that's the case now. I'm, I'm, now that the FBI has added her to the, to the most wanted list, I think maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they'll catch her. Um, yeah. If you're not familiar with, familiar with what OneCoin was – the idea was it was a it was a cryptocurrency. Jamie sums this up pretty well. But one of the key red flags was that they had a private blockchain, um, and that's kind of counter to the use case of a blockchain for a public ledger for a cryptocurrency. Uh, if you have a private blockchain, then not everybody can see the blockchain, and then you can't not that means not everybody can see the transactions. Or if not, if you're not looking at transactions like you're looking at a privacy preserving cryptocurrency not everybody can run the 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 uh the math to demonstrate that what's being said is true 
The problem with this is that uh, cryptocurrency at the time this scam began, and probably even now, is still a mystery to most people, right? So yeah. they see, ooh, I missed out on this Bitcoin, and they're they're experiencing this FOMO, that, or this actually maybe even more than FOMO, um, maybe this regret that they didn't buy Bitcoin when it was at $25. I know I thought I should buy some Bitcoin when it was $25, and I really regret that I didn't. Uh, but that didn't make me run out and invest in a bunch of... Um, a, you know, a bunch of my own hard-earned money into into uh, other coins. Now, I do have other coins, but I have not put a lot of money into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's something that if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency, even today, I said if you're, I would say if you're going to buy any cryptocurrency, even Bitcoin or or Monero or or Zcash or whatever, uh, if if you cannot afford to just light that money on fire, don't buy a cryptocurrency with it. Right. Yeah. If if yeah. that would have if that would have a, an adverse impact on you, uh, don't buy it because you you may be doing just that. We we don't know where this is going. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh, history here. But this was a scam <laughs> that was uh, one coin was a scam cryptocurrency built on multi level marketing. So which is why she didn't get the two hundred billion dollars. Uh, or yeah, because some other people when other people sold the cryptocurrency, they'd get a cut. Uh, so it's like a scam built on top of a scam. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And, uh, I, I hope they catch her. Uh, this woman has ruined a lot of lives. If you listen to the podcast, uh, to, uh, Jamie Bartlett's podcast, I think it's just called the missing crypto queen. Mm -hmm. Uh, you'll hear stories of people who have lost life savings. Uh, and you know, and there was a story of somebody in Africa who, who paid, um, I think she, she, uh, gave up just a couple thousands of dollars, but it took her her entire life to save this up. And, you know, here in America, we don't think of somebody with, you know, losing a couple thousand dollars as a big deal. But in Africa, that is a completely different situation. That's like losing tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. It's, it's a bad scam. And this woman is, it didn't care who she was impacting. She just went out there and sold this stuff and got a bunch of other people involved in it to sell it. And they made, billions and everybody else suffered. Everybody else lost out. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Carol Terrio for uh, bringing Jamie Bartlett on the show. Uh, We do appreciate it. Uh, We do appreciate all of them taking the time for us. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 